We're the Nada Grande Boys. I'm Rodney Wood. And I'm Kyle Jackson. Welcome to the Nada Grande Outdoors podcast where we hunt it forward. Welcome to this week's installment of the Nada Grande Outdoors podcast. Yep. Um, didn't have one last week. Sorry. Life gets in the way. It happens. Life gets in the way. Yep. Took a new job. Had to move. So, um, been doing some different stuff, but we are back at it this week. Yep. With Joe Gillia, Kyle Jackson, and myself. That's right. Welcome. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. You know, uh, late night. <laughs> late <laughs> night. So we we stole Joe off of a hunt. He was uh, he was guiding a hunt, and we've been trying to get this podcast done for probably a couple months now. Right. And and finally, everything fell into place, uh, and so. It's going to be a late night, but we appreciate oh, him being yeah. here. So, no, it's a, absolutely. And anytime we can talk about hunting and make it happen, right? I mean, you're, now you're here. You're not right. in Gordo, right? Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Huge. Yeah. No, that's going to be a big deal. Um, it's going to be a big deal for me and Kyle in the podcast, and and uh, not a Grundy outdoors. Us being um, living a couple of miles apart instead of six like, hours apart. Six hours apart. Yeah, <laughs> going to be much better. And so this means we're not going to be seeing the inside of the garage anymore, or what? How, oh no, well, that, I, I would I would imagine that that's still going to happen from gonna, time to time. <laughs> time so, to time, that is still happening. Oh, cool. My new place up here, I think we might build us a, a, a nice little um, podcast studio in the corner oh, uh, awesome. of the shop. So you know what's cool about this? New Mexico boys are all together. All right? Together. Yeah. Like it. I like now, it. Now, the, some of our crew is missing. Uh, yeah. Our guys from Texas, yeah. and we have Chavez not here. and So I'm trying to represent them. I'll try to do the best job I can, uh, <laughs> except for, for Manano and Luis. I'm never going to represent those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you didn't know, uh, Joe is the host, of, or I guess you could say co-host of right. uh, of his own podcast, the Elk Brothers. It's the Blue Collar Elk Blue Collar Elk, Elk mm-hmm. Hunting mm-hmm. Podcast. Um, they do Elk Brothers and is it Elk Pros Online Academy? Yeah. So actually, so we have, um, it's kind of a spearhead thing. So we are the Elk Bros. We have the Elk Bros crew and we have the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast and we have the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy. And within the academy, we have different training camps in that academy yeah. is how that works. Cool. And that's all, it's all online training. And see, that's easier to let you say it because I mess it all up every time. So. <laughs> right, right. We, we can barely get not off grande, right? Not, not off grande, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, it was like nothing big, man. How, yeah, I was, I was wondering about that name when I first saw it. Did, I, ever, did I tell you how, the, how that name no. came So uh-huh. <clears throat> that name is a little bit of an ode to my dad. Um, my dad passed away about 10 years ago or so. <clears throat> um pancreatic cancer screw you cancer anyways <laughs> but he uh when we when we originally came to springer uh-huh. my dad my dad grew up here uh in the Cimarron area and we had family here actually right uh, most of our ancestors settled the moreno valley um some some family members still up there the mootses and things like that mm-hmm. were related to them mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh for the till Probably about 20 years ago, um, the family owned what is what was the Atmore Ranch there in New Park. Oh, really? Yeah. There's Jackson before then, Atmore, um, 
married one of the Jackson girls. Oh, so neat. it became the Atmore Ranch. And we got we used to have property down around Cimarron. Um, one of the UU bar camps is called the Jackson Camp. That was my dad's dad's place. Well, dude, so man, there's some we are, history. We are, in we are entrenched in Colfax County. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So, but uh, when we came back to Springer, uh, you know, my dad ranched for quite a while and then became a game, uh, sorry, not a game warden, a uh, livestock. livestock inspector. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved back to Springer and bought his own place, about uh, 120 acres. And when he did that, he named it the Nada Grande Ranch. Nothing big. Oh, okay. And so kind of an ode to my dad. Oh, and, that's cool. And that's, that's way how cool. that name came about. Always saw your dad's hat coming before I saw. Well, I, it's hard to say that your dad was a big man. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that a lot. Yeah, he was. Big shoes to fill too. So yeah, but that hat, man, that that was you know that was him. You know, I can always remember seeing. That. Yep. You know, it was way cool. So yeah, so that's how that's how the name came about. Yep. It all happened in the blink of an eye too. Um, my wife had been pushing me to start a podcast for about a year. Yeah. And I just I never was really interested in doing it. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I don't, I, I love hunting. I don't want to make it into any kind of a profession or any work. Right. I just want it to be fun. Right. Um, little did I know. Um, <laughs> but then, so one night she was bugging me about it and Kyle and Annie were down. And I told Kyle, I was like, tell her we don't want to do a podcast. And he's like, I don't know. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> so next Sounds night fun. next night we were naming it and uh, figuring it out and a couple of weeks later we recorded our first podcast it was annie swears she didn't she didn't encourage us at all but i remember saying yeah you guys should do it yeah i don't think she was that encouraging but she uh-huh. i think she said something to that yeah effect. no she was she, she she didn't discourage us for sure um she probably wasn't as big a bit of, that's why we have the the hashtag it was Dana's idea hashtag it was Dana's idea on all of our <laughs> posts because she pestered me for so long and I never really was I never really wanted to do it and thank God Kyle changed my mind because it has been so much fun yeah. it, it's that's amazing huh yeah. it, it, it's uh, man I can remember our first our first one that we did and you know I I, I called back and I was like Gilbert man we've got 25 listens <laughs> right <laughs> you know it was like 25 and, and man there's three cities listening to us you yeah, know stuff right. like that and we did the same, went through the same, same phase, phase oh, yeah, yeah. somebody's same listening phase. to us in qatar yeah, yeah. what yeah, absolutely, so yeah. I'm, I'm guessing military or something but yeah we have we have we still to this day have some some listeners overseas right uh, some some regular listeners in australia france qatar i don't know if qatar is on there anymore but but yeah, we still got Hopefully that. He made it home, or she. Right. <laughs> hey, right. If they listen once; it's counted. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, but yeah, we we you know we don't I don't we don't count as much anymore. We just love doing it, so we keep doing it regardless right. of who's listening. Um, Thank you for listening, it, whoever does. Yeah. But it is it is a lot of fun. We do have some faithful listeners out there, and the numbers grow, and um, it's just fun to do. It's yeah. it's amazing though. Um, you don't realize how many people you're touching when you do yeah. this stuff, and some of the crazy things. Y'all's podcast came up the other day. Did it? Yeah, because <laughs> uh, my daughter, who is a physical therapist assistant in Albuquerque, 
has a coworker who starts talking to her and saying, yeah, you know, my husband, oh man, this guy just loves hunting and all he talks about is elk hunting. And, and, uh, my daughter's like, really? I said, well, my dad's a, a guide. And, and she goes, really? Where's he guide? Blah, blah, blah. And stuff like that. And, and, uh, and he goes back and he's, and he tells us her husband. Yeah. You know, Ashley's dad is an elk guide. And he's like, what's his name? And he says, Joe Julia. And he goes, who? <laughs> he goes, from elk bros you know like that and uh so ashley goes dad can this guy call you and so i i send the number and he texts me as and and i call him he says yeah i listen to you guys i listen to not a grande <laughs> and and i was like uh, i know you know i know kyle you know kyle <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah so at that time you know we had never met no you know no not till tonight so. I, I just heard uh your rough and tumble on the show that's all i've ever heard <laughs> yep, yep. that's a good way to put it right right yeah yeah excellent put, he puts people you know he, he ties them up and ties you kind of you kind of <laughs> calm him over Calm a little bit right? that's what i do i've been been doing that since yeah, i met him you got a reputation yeah you have you have I've, I've gotten you in a lot more trouble than you've kept me out of uh, that's all right it's no wait that's that's i got that backwards <laughs> i've kept you out of more trouble than you got me into yeah but the there you trouble go. we got into was fun though yeah it was mm-hmm. it, it was really cool you know when we started ours i looked immediately to see are there any other new mexico podcasts and i think there might be one other i think i've spotted out there um and and you guys and ourselves so i thought that was really cool yeah i mean you guys though are you're across the board hunting yeah i mean so you talk about so much more and your backgrounds are really cool because i mean you have the game and fish background Mm -hmm. and you have the hunting and i think you actually it's interesting in game and fish you're doing the part that you do but your buddy gets you involved in the hunting right yeah well and so i actually met rodney and kind of started hunting before i got in game and fish but that was i I hunted a little bit with my dad when i was young right um but it definitely wasn't the focus of you know we were agricultural family ranching and stuff like that and that's kind of where i thought my life would go right and uh Rodney and I started hunting together and it was just so much fun. You just could not do it, you know? Yeah. Sure. And, uh, actually got into game and fish because of my brother who it was in game and fish. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, if had I not met and roomed with Rodney in, in college and gone hunting with him, I, who knows where you'd be, you know? Right. Yeah. It's hard well, to, hard to, hard to think about that. We, we killed our first elk. I killed my first elk. He killed his first elk on the same day, same morning, 15, 15 minutes, minutes apart, apart. <laughs> 70, 73 yards from each other. Yep. With so, my brother calling. With his brother calling. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. How cool is that? Yeah, Very cool. And and then it's been doing it ever since, man. Oh, that's awesome, man. Absolutely love it. So elk hunting, that's my thing. And, yes. And, you know, I started out, you know, when I came to the state, um, I came here in 1980 and, you know, typical poor college student and i'm a backwoods carolina boy we hunted a lot uh squirrel hunting dove hunting is like a religion back yeah. home and then you got chasing coons and you know have all that stuff happening duck hunting is going on over there deer hunting uh didn't really do a whole lot for me in the south because uh in the south the way you hunt deer is a lot like how you hunt rabbits you put people on stand everybody's got a shotgun buckshot and they let the dogs go and they run do a drive and, yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's a drive type system, and and it just, man, I just I'm too much ADD to 
sit there <laughs> like that, you know, and do that. And even no matter what I hunted, I was always stalking it. So, yeah. uh, you know, so we had that. And so when I came to New Mexico, my wife and I got married at 20. Um, we had our first child when we were 24, in case anybody wants to find me married at 20. But, uh, you know, we we're poor college kids. Yep. And, and I told my wife, I can put food on the table. So yep. I, I'm a bow hunter. I've shot a bow since I was six years old. Um, and, you know, I, I was out deer hunting. And I had been successful deer hunting with mule deer and sugar eat back in the day. There was two places I loved to go. I went to sugar eat a lot because that season was from September till January. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just awesome. And maybe one day on your podcast, I can come on. We can talk about what happens to hunting when it becomes a state park sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that kind of went to the wayside. It went to a draw and you can no longer get in there hardly. And, um, but uh, I was out in the woods, 19 years old, hunting deer, when my when the first elk ever walked by me. And when I saw that, it was like, honey, I'm home. Because <laughs> that's a lot of meat to put yes, in the freezer. Yeah. And that's how I could see. I could see it going by. And, man, there was yes. chops and sirloin <laughs> <laughs> when it went by, you know. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you've been, you've been here in New Mexico long enough to go through the changes from over the counter, you know, from back in the day when it was regions instead of units. Absolutely. And, and you, you got stuff. your elk, your deer, mm-hmm. your bear, your turkey all on one yep. tag. One for, tag. And it was very affordable. Yep. You know, at that time. Yeah. Yep. That's what you, no, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, I do appreciate that it's still, uh, a still quote unquote affordable for residents. Um, you know, everybody complains about the prices going up, but, um, at least we don't have a point system. No, yeah. absolutely. Oh, uh, hold on. Let's go. Uh, New Mexico, never go to a point system. Ever. Right. Ever. Right. Ever. The, the most ridiculous thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we've screamed that a thousand times. I'm a firm believer that, you know, we talked several times about how New Mexico has increasing hunting numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that that's a huge factor mm-hmm. because we don't have a point system. Yeah. So right. many other states, non-residents can't go hunt they can't even go start to think about hunting there because they're too far behind in the points or even even residents even residents yeah i'm really curious as to i'm really curious to see which state that there's gonna be a state that's gonna have to break rank Mm -hmm. and say this is not sustainable we need to do something else and break from the from the point system Mm -hmm. and when they do it's going to cause a complete uproar because so many people have so many years and mon- so much money invested in the point system. To buy them out But at some point, there's got to be a breaking point where they say, we can't get new people into hunting. What are we going to do? I, I, there's got to be a, a state that's going to break rank and say, let's get rid of this point system. You know, I don't know that that's too hard to do because I, – and I don't know how much uproar there be because there's people that have all of those years and because of point creep – um, they find themselves dumping yeah. 30 years for, you know, a five point tag yeah. and just because they, they want to draw some place to hunt. Well, maybe you you're, know? maybe you're right, but I'm, I'm really curious to see which state's going to break right. rank and do that. Cause yeah. it, 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 it seems almost inevitable at this, at this stage where everybody's talking about point creep and everybody's talking about how hard it is to draw tags with 30 points, you yeah. know, and stuff right. like that. 
And then you have the people who here who can't draw, who don't draw a tag, and they're like, "Let's go to a point system." I just want to smack you. Well, I know. And think about that: thirty points is thirty years of investing mm-hmm. money into something, and you know, not everybody. Again, I always complain that hunting is becoming a rich man's sport, mm-hmm. and I and I think that's a, a shame. Yeah. You know, I think people that need to put food on their table aren't always the ones that get to. You know, there and 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 that's another conversation, and I could be totally wrong on that, but that's just kind of in, in my mentality. Yeah. As being somebody that, you know, when I bought a tag, and I remember, you know, I remember tags were sixty bucks, you know, for an elk tag to put in, and mm-hmm. sixty six dollars, right? Yeah. Now we're up to ninety dollars, you know, almost a hundred dollars for it. When you start add, adding stamps and licenses and stuff like that, um. But, you know, I can remember me buying something like that. And my wife is like, you're doing what? Yeah. Well, you better bring some meat home, man. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And it was critical. Yeah. For some people. Yeah. Yeah. That that was uh, in my family growing up, you know, maybe not so much anymore, but Mm -hmm. growing up. It was, it was, it was critical that it was an important part sure. of the year was for the family to put meat on the table through hunting. Well, after this year, it's becoming a lot more important to a lot of people. Yes. Absolutely. You know, it's come back. That's, I, I don't know if you can call it benefit yet, but, uh, um, I, I think it has m- mixed, mixed issues there as far as the number of people using public lands and abusing public lands, but as far as, as putting meat on the table and be able to provide for yourself and for your family, uh, that's a huge benefit that has come out of this whole pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, when when I'm boxing up meat to take to my family in Albuquerque because there's no meat on the shelf mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Albuquerque, I mean, that's a big flag. And I'm hearing so many, um, I don't know if you want to call them millennials or whatever you want to call them, but... You know, a, a lot of young people these days that are now going, well, I want to know where my food's coming from. Mm-hmm. And after what happened, I want to be able to put food on the table. Yep. You know, they yeah. want to have yep. that ability. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. It was a great comfort when when this all started, when the pandemic started. And you go to the grocery store and there was no meat on the shelves. Mm-hmm. It was a great comfort knowing that that didn't affect me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Well, it, it was also a good a thing to know. great comfort to know that you could spend your money on on stuff that you actually needed, mm-hmm. like non-perishables, to put in the. Mm-hmm. You know, I already had stuff in in the cupboard, but um, not to have to spend the money on the meat was huge. Yeah, 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 because we got it. So, yeah, the the only problem <laughs> was, you know, it was somebody's birthday i think it was my and so <laughs> we, we we wanted to get four ribeyes for you know a small family dinner yep. for that and it was like uh no only one packet per person so i was yeah. like ah <laughs> I, yeah. I i don't raise cattle i'm i could have to talk to the jackson family <laughs> well i know someone who might have some for sale after after the the year we've had with with moisture but uh no um, kind of took a little rabbit trail there. We do that squirrels. We do that. We yeah. Chase the squirrels. Yeah, to chase um, squirrels. Back to back to what you do, uh-huh. Joe the elk, and uh, tell us a little bit more about about kind of you guys' stuff and and how you got to where you're at. So I've been bow hunting. Um, I think. 
this was my 39th season yeah this year and um I'm going to put a bug in here because I do want to come back to I want you to continue on, on the elk hunting, but I want to come back to at some point and talk about the evolution that you've seen in, in, in bow hunting because right? that's completely interesting to me over 39 years, yeah, was, oh, equipment man. and all that stuff. But we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll pin that and come back and, to and it. And actually my equipment, uh, because I shot, I've shot the compound. I, I was one of those. I was born into the compound type mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I, I shot a recurve young, six years old. But my first bow was a, believe it, it was a, a righty-lefty compound. You could flip it upside down. It had the handle <laughs> so that you could flip it either way. Oh, wow. And, and yeah, you could actually shoot it either, either and, way. And I used it for a lot of things, you know, at that time. So my first bow was a compound. It was the the round pulley system on there. And, uh, and, and things went from there. I've always shot compound, but I've always shot instinctive in fingers. That hasn't changed. I mean, my current bow right now is probably 15 years old. Yeah. I still shoot fingers and I still shoot instinctive. Uh, but I have been, I've been hunting elk now. I've, I've been in the woods for 39 years. There were two years that I didn't draw on there. Um, but I've, uh, yeah. <laughs> we thought we were good. <laughs> no, I, I, I love to hear it. I, I love to hear that. that. That to me is, it just proves all of the people out there saying, I can't draw a tag, I can't draw a tag, I can't draw a tag, learn how to apply. Right. Yeah, and you know what's funny about that? I was just talking to a buddy of mine the other day, and he's like, I haven't drawn a bow tag. And I said, well, what are you putting for you? Oh, well, first choice has been this, second choice first has been choice this. First choice is Vivadol, you know, second choice is Vaya Caldera. Yeah, Barker, and then third yeah. choice is White's Peak, yeah. you know, or something like that, you know. And, uh, uh, and so... And they asked me, you know, well, what are your choice? I said, I only put in for one area. <laughs> <laughs> I've never put in for a second or a third area. Ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've only ever put in for one. Either I draw it or I don't. And, and, and generally you draw it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate. And, and my brother-in-law, Chav, um, we've put in on the same license for ever. Yeah. And uh, we've always hunted together. It's kind of like you guys, you know. Um you develop that hunting partner, that person that thinks like you. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we don't act anything alike. Chab is, like, very quiet and calculating and um, a nice guy. I'm just the opposite. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, we've, we've been out there for all those years. And this year was my uh, 35th, yeah, my 35th elk in 37 years that I've taken public land with the bow. Yeah. And... You know what's so funny about that is, is that I never thought anything about that ever. And you know the thing is, when you used to hunt, you know, you did your thing, you hunt, you brought it home, and then you went about your business. You never talked to anybody about yeah. it, you know. Uh, and I would have hunting buddies along the years, and and, and one of these guys that had been hunting with us all this time, he goes, Joe, do you realize you've killed an elk every year for 16 years at this point in time? You know, yeah. and I'm like, uh, never really thought about it. And he says, that's pretty good. I was like, isn't that what you're supposed to do? I mean, that's <laughs> not the goal. <laughs> yeah, my whole attitude was if I'm getting a tag and I'm going in the woods to hunt elk, I'm going to bring home an elk, mm-hmm. you know. That was just my mentality, and it's it's always been that way. I I truly feel, honest to God, and I've told this to I honestly believe that any day that I walk into the woods with my bow that I can take an elk. I feel that way. And... 
you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to kill one every day I go in there, but that's how I feel about it. I, I usually feel that way right till about 9.30, 10. <laughs> 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 and then that feeling goes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And, and you know what? There's, it's funny because I had one year that um, we were, we used four-wheelers to get from where we're at to an area and then we hunt that area right, right? Yep. well at that at that time the whole popular thing to do was to put a bow holder on the front of your four-wheeler and you just clicked it in and you drove and then you hunt that area yeah. well we did that and i it, it was muddy and we got to the area and i took my bow off and before i ever um go into the woods i always break my bow over because sometimes you get that morning crack with your wax and stuff like that and i never want i'm a noise freak right yeah. so i wanted to break it over i go to break it over and evidently some mud had gotten in the groove on my cam and it rolled my cable out Ooh. and exploded in my hands cut my arm uh and you know i've got chav and our other hunting buddy right there and i mean their eyes go like <laughs> saucers <laughs> they're just looking at me and they're just waiting for a reaction you know and I turned around and looked at them and saw them a buck, man. And they're like, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I guess I'm going to take you guys hunting because I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and so we get back to camp and I told her I'm heading home, you yeah. know, uh, I'm going to see you guys tomorrow. So I drove off the mountain. I drove all the way home. I got there that night. So I get, I get to the house and, and I told my wife, I'm like, man, I was like, I'm going you know, I'm gonna have to go get my other bow. I'm gonna have to put everything, get it ready, go out and shoot it. I said, you know, I think this is gonna be the year because everybody was making a big deal. By the time this is like, I don't know, this is like year twenty something, right? Yeah. And we're making a big deal of all these years of stuff, and it's starting to play with my head a little bit. And I get home and I said to my wife, well, I guess it's gonna be the year I don't get one, yeah. right? And uh, my wife being the wonderful person that she is my inspiration in a lot of ways you know she she matter-of-factly looked at me and says i always thought it uh wasn't about the equipment i thought it was about the hunter behind the equipment and uh oh man she tagged me boy right there you know <laughs> so i go out i grab my other bow i go out and i shoot it make sure everything's on the knock is on everything's there and i'm comfortable and i go drive all the way back to camp, get there. Next morning, I kill a bull. Nice. The following morning, you know, and, and uh, it, sometimes you, you just have that little gut check and that mm -hmm. little attitude fixture. So I, I, I've been hunting elk a long time yeah. in, in the area. It's always been public land. And what happened was uh, I was guiding for a good friend of mine. I don't know if you guys knew Carl Gamage. Did you ever know Carl mm -hmm. Gamage? I know Carl. Martinez, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And he had a clientele that came in, and the clientele knew. And one of these guys was a, a gentleman named Gilbert Ornelas. And if you've listened to our podcast, you've probably heard Gilbert because he's the host of our show. Mm -hmm. Well, Gilbert brought in clients, and I would guide his friends, his clients. And they would always talk about the experiences that they had with me. And after about three years, Gilbert was like, Joe, man, I want you to take me. And I was like, Gilbert, man, you're three and a quarter uh, his weight yeah right and i was like but there's no way with my style that you can hunt with me it's just it's not conducive for you right i said you lose some weight and 
Let's talk about it. Man, he did it. And so I ended up guiding Gilbert. Well, Gilbert killed his first bull with me. The following year, we, uh, well, Carl had lost the lease to the Martinez. Mm -hmm. And so we held the same hunt. And, and Carl was, like, super depressed. And we're like, bro, man, just do it. Get Use the outfitter pool and get the guys that draw, and we'll put them, and we'll do it on state land. Yeah. He says, you can do that? I said, heck yeah, dude. I, I hunt that <laughs> state land all the time. So we do that, and we have a successful hunt. It yeah. was really good, and we were looking forward to the next one. Well, that October, Carl dies, tragically. Mm -hmm. It was... Um, one of the it it hit all of us where it hurts uh, i don't think i've ever cried I, I mean like that i mean i weeped for hours man well after that happened and we did carl's uh funeral you know gilbert comes to me and some of the other guys is like hey let's hold a hunt in carl's honor and so we did the exact same thing and gilbert brought in some clients and i would guide them and uh, uh, through another outfitter. Yep. And we started doing that. And I got to meet some guys. And some of the guys I got to meet was like Luis Gonzalez. And if anybody's heard, they've heard our, our mafia on there. And Luis is one of those. Another one was Manano Graturon. Well, those guys had been hunting with us under those conditions for a couple of years. And Manano and Luis, because... Even when I've guided on where I guide professionally, I always coach the people I'm with. I want them to feel the same experience, the same passion that I feel for it, mm -hmm. right? So I've always not just, I've never been a point and shoot guide. I've always been a teaching guide. And these guys are like, Joe, dude, you don't guide, you coach, you teach. Like, why don't you do something with that? And I was like, what am I going to do, write a book? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not going to go over well with my grammar, right? So, they, you know, they kept after me, actually. And I, um, one day I saw an, I saw a online elk hunting course. Corey Jacobson has one. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic, right? And I was like, let's see, that's, in high school, I taught web design, graphic design, video production. And so I looked at that and I was like, you know what? I can do that, but do it from my point of view, my style. And um, that was where it came from originally. And Elk Bros, the name came from, me and Chav had been there forever. In fact, if you look at our emblem, there's two guys. There's a big gorilla and a smaller guy. Well, that's Chav and myself, right? I'm the gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I started that. And to honor our hunting relationship, like you guys yep have yours and those people i've shared my elk camp with over the years so i called it elk bros it wasn't to be a boys club or to exclude anybody it was to honor those people yep. that i share time with right so i was like i want to do an online course well before i was going to do that i was like well i gotta build a base you know uh, an, an audience mm -hmm. or a target audience so i decided well the way to do that at the time was youtube mm -hmm. right so I was like, well, let's do a YouTube channel, and uh, we can do something for that. And then I, I heard about this thing called a podcast. Had never listened to a podcast. I'd never even heard about a podcast until his wife brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> idea from? My wife. Yeah. <laughs> Dana's hashtag, idea. Hashtag it was Dana's idea. <laughs> yeah, right. So I was like, 
I said, okay, Gilbert, let's do this podcast and you be the host. I mean, Gilbert's a salesman. He could talk the leg off a wooden Indian man. And he just <laughs> loves to talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, I was like, you be the host. Uh, I'll be the straight guy, whatever on there. We have Chav and Chav is Mr. Wisdom. Chav only talks every now and then, but when he does, you better listen. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so we started out doing that, and I thought it was going to be the YouTube channel that would take off. Well, the podcast went bonkers. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. And the whole idea of our podcast was to give free content to coach and to teach about elk hunting. But the goal was to teach people how to do it ethically, how to do it responsibly, and to teach people that you did not – we call it blue-collar elk hunting because – I was a poor guy that hunted elk. Yep. I mean, I hunted in tennis shoes, camo that I found at yard sales, um, with an old bow, uh, broadheads from Walmart. You know, I mean, it, I, I did it as inexpensive as you could do it. We lived off of bologna and peanut butter, mm-hmm. you know, when we hunted. So I wanted people to know that you can do this, you know, without having to, you know, sp- spend your life savings to do it. You know, and, you, you know, gear is great. And we always say this, but gear should never keep you out of the woods. Yep. Yep. You know, that's, my bow wasn't the top of line bow. That's very, I mean, that's what we talk about all the time. Beg, steal, and borrow. Beg, steal, and borrow. Yeah. And, and Until you can budget enough to get what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you can afford and you and you have a favorite thing, that's what makes Christmas great for us, right? Absolutely. Right? Yeah, we have something that we like and make us a little more comfortable, right? I mean, I, I think it's great. If, if you have the gear, you want the gear and it makes you more comfortable, more power to you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have it, you don't have to have it. Yep. Get in the woods. Yeah, yeah. get in get the woods. Buy the tag. Yep. yep. Get in the woods. That's the most important piece that you can take with you is that tag. Oh, yeah. Without it, you're just walking. <laughs> Taking your bow for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing that, you know, that, that we told people, too, is that, you know, uh, if you have that tag and you have that weapon and you're out there, you know, um, so many people think that, they have to get the new bow to be successful. That they have to get the new camo to be successful. They have to get the new call to be successful. No, you have to know. In my case, uh, I'm an elk hunter. Yep. So you have to know elk. Yep. You know, you know elk. It, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Doesn't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now, do I wear camo? Heck yeah, I do. Do I go scent free? Yes, I do. Um, and if my wind goes the wrong way. Is that going to save me? No, but it can mitigate yep. a little bit. So my camo is to mitigate. My scent stuff is to mitigate, right? Uh, I'm a real scent freak about stuff like that. You know, I'm a sound freak. And really, you know, I tell guys all the time, you know, they're they're pussyfooting through the woods because they've been hunting deer or they've been hunting whitetail. And I'm like, dude, no, 
go. I mean, especially if you're cow calling and that bull's responding, don't worry about your noise. You sound like an elk coming yeah. into them, right? Yeah. Now, there's a time, though, that if I've had to throw a call back behind me and then head up 40 yards real quick, I want to get there quietly without snapping some so they still thinks that the, you know, the cow's back there. And then when I draw back, I definitely don't want my bow to be snapping, popping, creaking, or I'm, I'm real, yeah, you know, when you wear a pack and you go to do it and you hear that shh, you know, on the pack, oh. I want everything friggin' silent. Yep. I don't want any failure points on there. So, you know, that's one thing that we've tried to tell people is, is that everybody out in the woods has a great bow, has great camo, has a great call. You know, they have um, their wind checker. They have all that stuff, but only 10% of the people are killing elk, you yep. know. So if everybody has all that equipment, why isn't 100% of the people killing elk? Yep. You know what I mean? It all comes down to your knowledge. And so that's why Elk Bros, man. Elk Bros is me being able to use my coaching style to teach people how to hunt elk. But it's kind of like when I coached kids. You know, I never coached kids to win. I coached kids to work hard, to have good work ethic, to be loyal, to be selfless, to do the little things you know, have focus and winning took care of itself. Right. So if I teach and, and I want my kids to be good people, you know, if you coach our youth and you don't help them be good people, then, then all we're focusing is on the wrong thing. We're, it's like focusing on the dollar. You're focusing on the win. You're focusing on the award. Yeah. Right. Well, it's the same thing now that I'm coaching elk hunters. I want elk hunters that are going to be Good hunters, responsible hunters, ethical hunters. All right, so tell me how many times you've heard this. You've come across somebody say, have you had any luck? Um, I got an arrow in one. <laughs> right? I've heard that so many times that their only goal was to stick the animal. Yep. You know, to get in there. And I'm like, no, that's, that should not be the goal. I mean, you should never let an arrow go unless you know it's going to be a killing shot, mm -hmm. right? The idea is not to just get one in them so that you can follow a blood trail or whatever because you're out of luck if that's an elk, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, they're such tough animals. Yeah. And it, I hear, that's the thing I do hear all the time. Well, he wouldn't have gone this far. Yeah, he would have. I've seen one with a friggin' arrow through his heart go dang near a mile. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. It's unbelievable. I mean, you had one uh, this year. Yeah. And, and perseverance paid off. You found him, but he went a lot farther than what you guys thought he would have. Yeah. And right in the Boilermaker. Yeah. Great shot. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that guy was doubting his shot. Yeah. He, doubting himself was never going to hunt again. And that was the only benefit really in finding that animal uh, because it – it helped him know that he did make a good shot. But know? it comes back to knowing that animal and knowing that even if I hit one good, I've got to be prepared to finish this up. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, that's another thing. People shoot an animal with a gun or with a bow, and the moment that they see that animal get hit, they start celebrating. Yep. You know, and, and that's another thing that we teach and <laughs> is that it's not over, you know. 
<laughs> Busted. <laughs> I, I, I've told this story multiple times on the podcast before, and you may have heard it if, if you've listened, but I shot a deer, put the deer down, picked him up, looked at him, laid him back down, then celebrated. My uncle walked over, picked him up, looked at him, put him back down. We stood there and talked a little bit. And then he said, well, let's get this thing gutted and go to the house. Pulled out his pocket knife, opened it up, grabbed the deer by the horns, and that deer jumped up and kicked his hind end. <laughs> ran him in circles, dumped him in a pile, and ran off. And I was standing there just going, Huh? <laughs> now, my uncle flat out denies it even happened anymore. <laughs> but, but that's a little different deal. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, uh, didn't read the signs that he was still alive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, but, and you're exactly right. His eyes were closed. Yeah. I never picked up on that. His eyes were closed the entire time. I played it back in my head, and yep, his eyes were closed. Is if he was dead, his eyes would have been open. Yeah, most people think, uh, you know, whenever they show it on the movies, if a person's eyes were closed yeah. or something like that, that they're dead, and, and it's just the opposite, man. Yeah. And, you know, if you come up to an animal and, and those eyes are closed, that animal's still alive. Yep. Uh, ear up, uh, check the chest for breathing. So, I mean, I had the exact same thing. You know, we shot a bull with a rifle. Um, we had actually gone over after that one hit the ground i had two shooters so we went around to try to get one of the other ones and the guy's like well my bull's down let's just go check and i'm like no let's go check your bull yeah and so we go to go up to the bull and i'm like where's your gun and uh he's like bull's dead and i said get your gun <laughs> put one in i want you to go up and poke that animal and the pos the way the position of the animal was it was kind of weird too and i mean the animal had stayed the same for like 15 minutes he goes up pokes that critter in the rear end that elk jumps straight up with wheels turning Mm -hmm. I mean, it got Western right now. And, <laughs> and I just grabbed him like this, like, shoot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shoot <more> black. <laughs> Puts that animal down, but a huge lesson learned yeah, to absolutely. him, you know, yeah. Yeah, for something like that. But, you know, so we, it, it, we talk about like different things like that. But the thing about our, our, our academy is that the way I do it, my coaching style is the same as when I coach kids. I actually do this totally different. Like most of the time, if somebody's going to take you and teach you how to hunt, mm -hmm. right? They're going to start telling you about the equipment you need. Um, they're going to tell you about where to go to camp. Or, you know, they're going to tell you about how to scout. They're going to tell you, you know, a little bit about the deer, where to find them. And and I don't do that because there's that's so much information, so many variables. Yep. And for different hunters, it's different yep. for each one. So. I do the same thing as when, when I coach, like you if, to take example for basketball, you know, why do we teach our kids, uh, a, a last second shot, you know, inbounds play from the side, 2.2 seconds, right. To teach them at the end, how to finish, how to win a game. Right. Um, and that's because they do. That's why football teams, you know, they're, they're taught how to get down the field in a two minute drill to kick a field goal, yep. right? So these are these are teaching people how to finish, mm -hmm. right? So what I've done is my pole vaulters, 
you know, I used to teach them how to clear a bar with drills way before they ever got there so that when they did get there, mm -hmm. they know what it feels like. They know what it looks like. So on my academy, I use my coaching style. I actually start with that moment that is in the mo in your most control as a hunter. And that's closing the deal. That lasts seconds to minutes when you have an elk in front of you. Like knowing that anatomy, where to place that arrow, knowing what that angle should be so that you're able to do that, knowing to be in front of something, um, how to, when to pull back on that animal. Because I, I made the same mistake for years is that an elk's coming by and I'm, and I'm going to have to draw. Mm -hmm. And what do I do? Oh, his you wait till he's ready. <laughs> wait, wait till you, where he's, where you wait till. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. You wait till he's where you want to shoot him. You don't draw when you need to, to be ready when he want to shoot him. Yeah. And like most guys will, they'll, you know, if there's a tree, mm -hmm. they, as soon as he gets his head behind the tree, they're going to try to draw. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, what happens every time, because y'all listen, elk have a fatal flaw, is when they see movement, especially if they're coming into calls, they see movement, they're going to stop and look. Mm -hmm. And if you try to draw when their head goes behind the tree and they catch the end of your draw, they're going to stop and they're going to look at you. And guess where that tree is going to be? Right in the right way. Yeah, right in the kill zone, man. It, it, you're, you're stuck. Right. So I always tell people, if, if you are in a situation where you have to draw when an elk is coming by, you draw when that animal is in your lane. And if you have to cow call when you're doing it or you have to grunt or scream a bugle, then do it because that's going to hesitate them for a second. But they're going to stop and they're going to look. In fact, if that animal is coming up on you and let's say he's going to walk on top of you, Kyle, mm -hmm. he comes up and you're like, oh, I better draw. You draw that elk is going to booger mm -hmm. he's going to run off and he's going to stop, stop and, and turn back broadside. and see what boogered him yep yep a fatal flaw mm -hmm. is what they have so i i start with that i want to teach people how to finish because you me hikers hunters that have no clue every year will have an encounter with an elk and they're like that dog chasing a car once they get there they don't know what to do with it. That's the reason a lot of guys, <laughs> a lot of guys don't kill animals is because they, they've done all of this knowledge stuff at the bottom. It's been trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. And they finally get in position with an animal in front of them and they don't know how to finish. And that's the difference between those winning teams and those teams that go home empty, right? Is that those winning teams, we talk about it all the time. I mean, those same football teams that win year after year you're like they know how to win they know how to finish mm -hmm. so that's what i start with and then i come backwards and so from that now we're talking about the setup and then we go back from that and then we're talking about the calling you know we're talking so i bring it backwards so that for each person now when they come back to the next module when they hear about things it directly relates with what's ahead of them mm -hmm. They see it. They understand it because they just came from there. So it makes sense to them now. Whereas when you're doing it from the bottom, it's kind of like, do you guys play video games? Mm. Ah, good. Huh. <laughs> it's not a waste of time. But there's so many people that play those video games and their levels, right? So they said that they stay on level one for how long? They go through all of these parts. They're dead. 
you know, they, so they start over again, they go a different route and then they die and then they go a different route. They keep doing that until they figure out where they need to go to get the next level, but they don't know what the next level looks like because they've never been there. And they have a hard time getting through that first level again, because they're not exactly sure how they got through it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it takes a bunch of times. Well, in elk hunting, if you're doing that every year, you're going out there and you're trying all this stuff and you're, you're falling through that hole. Like you said, trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. It takes years and years. So the, the academy and the way I do it is to coach people that way. Right. So I've been talking a lot. You guys have any questions? No, it's interesting because I hadn't, I guess I had never really seen that style of teaching before. No, definitely might change some hunt it forward stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, I do like, I do like the, you know, you mentioned about the gear part. Now that's funny because every hunt it forward participant that we have had, it's inevitable sometime within the first week, week or, or two, two weeks. <clears throat> what gear do I need? <laughs> it's always right up there. What gear do I need? What gear do I need? And that's good that they're thinking, but, but we don't generally, we, we generally tell them, you know, listen, you're going to need some gear, but we'll get to that later. Cause we're not there yet. You need a right. good rifle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, know your weapon. Exactly. Yeah. You know, be able to use it. And be able to use I it. mean, uh, so I, that's like now all of these people, there's so many people and we get emails and questions just like you guys do all the time. We have people that they've already done all this stuff. They've gotten their tents. They've gotten their, their bow. They've been doing all the shooting. And then they, they arrive where they're at and they're like, how do I find this animal? Mm. Right. And, and instead of knowing the animal first, first, yeah. yeah on there, knowledge, man, knowledge is what does it for you. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, investing in your knowledge, investing in yourself, doing, but it's not sexy. No, you know, no, no, it's, it's work. Yep. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And I, I mean, when I go out and shoot my bow, I can see, I can see that that's immediate feedback every time, you know, uh, when, when I get my camo, my pals are like, Oh, that's sweet. Right. It looks good. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I go learn and, you know, the different ways to call an elk. All I'm doing is irritating my wife. I'm irritating my kids. I'm irritating my neighbors. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you, I think one of the number one reasons for my success is not only my knowledge of the animal, but I speak the language. Yeah. I'm able to create my opportunities. And that doesn't mean I'm always bugling an animal. They're not always screaming coming into me, but I can do things that are going to bring them into me, either silent, right? Or uh, I can do a type of scenario that's going to bring them in that's totally different than how people are doing that. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's huge. That's a big part of why I've been successful. Like yeah. That. No, I think it's very interesting. It's your, your, my path through hunting, you just described it. Oh, really? <laughs> um, to trial and error, trial and error, trial right. and error. You know, I didn't have a, uh, um, I didn't have a specific teacher. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I had my uncles who, who took me hunting and taught me a lot, but there wasn't a whole, you know, that's the way we, we all did things, trial and error, you know, go out and try it. Right. Um, and, and I, I'm like Kyle, I love hunting mule deer. Hunting mule deer is, is I, I love the spot and stock hunting for mule deer. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. Um, 
But even that, it's just trial and error with elk. Me and Kyle have been pretty successful hunting together. I think we're still right at about 50% right. success rate mm-hmm. hunting together. That's that's pretty, pretty impressive good. right there. Yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah. good. It, it's above average. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, but um, with elk, elk are so much... I love hunting elk, too. I say mule deer is my favorite, but I love hunting elk, too. Mm-hmm. Um, man so much that you can't prepare for other than being out there. Um, and that's the finishing part is something that it took me a long time to get over tornado mode, tornado mode. Um, I go into tornado what was that? mode. Tornado mode. Yeah. Oh, that's what they say. I have is tornado mode. I go into tornado. Oh, mode. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, many people know as bull fever, buck fever, whatever you want to call oh, it. Oh, you know, okay. Yeah. You just get really like, excited. We, we call it Veralakis from our mafia. Yeah, from the Venezuelan mafia. Yeah. <laughs> it's my general mode of being. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it comes time for like packing to go camping or uh-huh. setting camp or getting ready to go or anything like that. But um, that that finishing moment, I, I, had, I struggled with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I finally got an animal down, it helped me calm. But mostly it's been Kyle. Mostly Kyle has helped me calm down. Right. He's helped me calm down in the moment um, and be more precise. So that's helped a lot, but it's interesting to hear that style of going backwards like that and learning, you know? Yeah. It's, um, and that's the exact reason, like what you're talking about is, is when people get there, they just freak out at the moment, you know? Yeah. And if you can prepare them mentally so they can actually see it and understand it. And, and on our Academy, we do a lot of videos. Um, we do a lot of audio, uh, I, I do stuff with calling and, and I even have, um, a decision tree. In other words, where I put them kind of on my shoulder with a hunt and this is what you've heard. What are you going to do next? You know, you've heard a, a bull that's bugled 600 yards off and is screaming. So, you know, what's the first thing you do? Well, you scream back at them with a challenge bugle. Um, and, and I just don't go on the decision tree, whatever they choose. I just don't go and eh, wrong. I was like, well, this is why we wouldn't do that, right? You know, he's 600 yards away, uh, no reason to challenge him right now. Uh, He might not even be talking to you. Cut the distance, man, get more information. So, you know, we, we just, we try to give them coaching tips just like, I did with athletes, mm-hmm. you know, and we do it in all sorts of ways like that. So uh, we we have different camps. Like right now we have base camp. Base camp is, is just that. It is the basis for everything. It's for the beginner to a 15-year vet. And there's so much information in there. I think when we're done, it's going to be like 12 modules. And we, we started with the four cores right now for people to be able to do that. I think we're adding a big one that everybody's going to love for next year because so many people struggle finding elk. And that's the next module that's coming in on that, right, uh, to get them ready. But we, we needed to get it there. We needed to get it out and get people started on that. And so we have base camp. And then the next one we're going to do is our spike camp. And that just takes because, like, when I do the calling in base camp, it, it's it's basic, yeah, yeah. right? Mm. Uh, it, Understanding it, the 
basic calls that you're going to need yeah. down in the woods. Yeah, like if I teach you a chuckle, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about you sounding like <gasps> you know getting everything in there. I just want you to have a basic chuckle and be able to do it. Then on the next step, we're going to change the calling and make it a little bit more advanced. So uh, with every area, we take it a step up mm-hmm. in spike camp, and then we have summit camp, which is the advanced thing that we do on there. Plus, what I want to do with Summit Camp is I want to add things for guides and outfitters, you know. Uh, And I think that's huge. Yeah. I I think uh, that's a big payoff because, you know, you, somebody that works with guides all the time, you know, uh, uh, wouldn't it be cool that, you know, they have some place where they can pick up the same type of information if that's something that you feel that they should have, you know, to be able to do that. And, yeah, so that's the whole idea. They're training camps. And we might end up with different kinds of training camps after that. But those are the the three that are our goal to finish. And right now we really want base camp to be our flagship when we're done. We want that. And have you looked at it at all? I've looked at it briefly, and Mm -hmm. and you'd mentioned getting me in and and going through it. I'd like to do that. I just... Oh, yeah. Real Cra- world. Crazy year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy COVID year. But, right. uh, you know, it is so much information. But even though it's so much information, that's what's cool about this is the way we have it set up. If you want to go, you can follow it just in order or you can select to go to different points on it like that. So it's 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 pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. So that... <clears throat> you know, a long circle around to it. There right. For you. Right. I'm going to, I got to cover this year's elk hunt. Yeah. So I think it's a great time to do it because uh-huh. we got Joe here to pick it apart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things, like you mentioned, life happens. Um, that, that this year, that seems to be the theme, you know. Um, so, Kyle didn't put in with us because he's a bum. No, uh. no, 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 <laughs> no. The reason the reason I didn't put in with you guys was because um, I knew I was going to be busy with work this year. <clears throat> there was a slim chance I was going to be able to get away. <clears throat> but I have already drawn my once in a lifetime Viva Doll yeah. tag, uh-huh. and so. That was their first choice was Viva Doll. And yep. so I was like, all right, you guys put in. If you draw a Via, I'll come hunt with you because it's just right there. Right. If you don't draw, I'll try and come hunt with you if I can get get away from yeah. and, and, and do something. So um, now, don't uh, let don't uh, let him sway because it but, wasn't my choice. Like, <laughs> it, it was my choice, but it wasn't like because no, no. I didn't want to hunt with him. Uh, uh, but to his side, your first choice <clears throat> should have been his second choice because it was a most likely not going to draw the Valle. Well, um, <laughs> again, I, I knew I was going to be probably pretty busy with That's work, it, yeah. and that was my major concern. Absolutely. Um, also knew I was if I absolutely needed to, to get an elk, you know, I was going to get a cow tag right. anyway. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and with it having turned out the way it did with the COVID year. Yeah. So good you didn't it's, have to. It was, it, was it was a good thing other than that I didn't get to go hunt yeah, up with yeah. them. Well, and, and it, I mean, it worked out. Yeah. Um, circumstances, you know, I had big plans to be, to hunt like 10 straight days yeah. of my elk hunt and all that. Um, right before my elk hunt started, 
probably a week before. Yep. Um, my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Oh, no. So we spent several days in the hospital in El Paso and, and then at home. And I had to take several of those hunting days and make them be home with daughter days. No kidding. So yeah. life gets in the way. And, that, sure. and, and hunting is a, is a passion, but it's not life. Right. So Perspective to, is important. Yeah. So it had to do other things. So, so hunting <clears throat> turned into from a 10-day camp to... I'm going to get up there an afternoon here and a morning there and a couple of days here. Mm-hmm. But um, very, very tough year. Very dry. It mm-hmm. was very hot. Um, so We was hunting in Unit 37. Stayed so warm, so late. And, yeah, yeah. Everywhere. Absolutely, yeah. It, what, really, what really was a bummer. Still did until what? Till mid-October. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the week before my hunt, during the first archery hunt, yeah, there was a nice cold spell. We had that was the year that yeah. was when we had a snow here. Yeah. Oh, oh so yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was there during that snowstorm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um. So so anyway, we go hunting, and and that was another thing. Dedon couldn't make it up. So the f- couple of days that I actually had, I had three days consecutive that I actually got to go hunting. Dedon wasn't there. Slacker. So, well, same, same <laughs> thing. Know, you know, life, know. life gets we, in the way. We but, have, yeah, but we do yeah. have to give him a hard we time. Do. We do. Because he does that here. to us all the time. He won't show up till <laughs> camp is set up. And he leaves before we break dude, down camp. Dude, help me break down camp I'll, this I'll year. I'll give him that. Even okay. the big fat. All right, I'll give him that. Um, <laughs> big, big props to Gear Junkie Jerry. Gear Junkie he came Jerry. to camp and helped me set up the big fat tent. Um, but just a, I mean, just a tough hunt this year. They weren't, they weren't making any noise. Um, the first evening that I got to go out, I, I left work, went right to camp and I, um, walked down this ridge, you know, where over there by the rattlesnake, yep. um, and co- coming off this ridge, I could hear the elk on the next ridge over coming down. And like you said, elk make noise. Mm-hmm. Just, if they're around and they're moving, you're mm-hmm. going to know it cause they make noise. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the wind good and Coming off this ridge, I just couldn't go as fast as them. They got down there before I could, where they're crossing over into some private. And uh, I didn't—I knew they were going to be back. <coughs> didn't want to spook them, so I just kind of let them go. I got about 150 yards to them, but at that point, you know, decent little six-by-six six bull. I'd have shot him right then and there. In fact, I might by myself. I wouldn't have cared. Um, but I couldn't get down there fast enough. Um, if you'd had the northern New Mexico bow magnum, right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, so I let everything cross, uh, come back the next morning, and got set up perfect. And they were coming in. And, and this is something that happens, but welcome to public land hunting. And they wasn't even on, pri- on public. I, I, could, I had the elk talking a little bit. Um, was doing some cow calling and had some bugles bugling back at me. Um, and I knew that they were coming in. They were probably a quarter mile away. So I got set up knew you know, right where they crossed. I figured they were going to come right back the exact same way. And they got busted out by a guide and some hunters on the private. Mm-hmm. Um, they were set up to same thing catch them. Mm-hmm. to catch them coming in. And so that didn't work out. So, that evening, my brother-in-law come up with his mules, and we rode around on mules, basically kind of scouting, yeah. um, which is something we tend to do a lot when we're hunting, 
is yes. Yeah, scout, scout hunting. Scout hunting, yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we were able to get to a lot of country that, you know, over the next day and a half that um, you, you, you wouldn't necessarily want to spend all of your hunting time walking to that area, you know, but with the mules, we was able to ride that country, see a lot of country, get to check a lot of stuff out, found some good country yeah. to hunt, um, and, and stuff like that. And then he had to bug out. And it was at that point that I had to kind of start a couple hours here, a couple hours there kind of hunting. Mm-hmm. And I made a cardinal sin. I left elk to, to go find, find elk. elk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason I did it is because there was, you know, those hunters were in there, mm-hmm. um, down there on the private and it was, you know, just hard getting, fighting them for those elk. So I thought, well, let's go spend a day in this other area. Yeah. I don't know that that's a cardinal sin, man, because you, you already considered the mitigating circumstances to it. You Correct. Know what I'm I mean, yeah. there, there was a reason it wasn't, right. I wasn't just leaving elk. elk. Yeah. I was leaving elk that were pressured and, exactly. and that I was fighting other people for and I, you know i knew that there was a lot of other people coming into that area yeah um we went to go up into that area uh an, a, another evening mm-hmm. uh before we left them and there was hunters coming out yeah and as they come out they stopped us and they said no no need in going up there there's trucks already up there right. so there was trucks up there there was trucks leaving there because mm-hmm. there was trucks up there and we were headed there so i was like no i'm, I'm you know we went and found some place else that evening and then the next day we bugged out and and went to no, that went totally to another makes spot. sense. Yeah, let them have it. We're gonna go yeah. work something else. Yeah. And the problem was we didn't see an elk track, an elk turd, an elk, hear an elk, smell <laughs> nothing. An elk. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. Um and we almost went back. That would have been really dumb. Yeah. Um me and Didon talked about it. We were like, well, maybe we should go back out there and fight um, over the elk. <laughs> no, back to the back area to the where we didn't see. Yeah. Oh. The place that we went to look for elk that we left elk to go find elk. That oh, place. And and luckily I talked myself out of it that evening. I said, No, I said, Let's let's get up in the morning and let's go back to where where or no. I had to leave. And I said, When I come back this evening, we'll go back in there where we were at. And we went in there and we saw elk. We didn't get to get on any, but we saw elk. So I had to drive back home again that night, come back in the next evening. And it was my last evening. And we got down in there and we set up in a pretty good spot. So I was kind of in the middle and I had 90 yards one way and and about 80 yards the other way. Um clear to shoot not that i would have shot that far but that's my basically in the middle of those two lanes right with deed on over to one side i don't know why he was over there He's, he does he, his he own baffles thing. me he sometimes. does his own thing you know so i think it. it i think it looked like a texas tree stand and so <laughs> <laughs> kind of drew him in you know was it on your right <laughs> no but he had to lean to the right to see to so. see oh, okay so we sit there and just nothing, no sound, no nothing. I'm thinking, man, these guys just buggered everything out of here. Um, so, but, but what were you doing? I mean, to create your opportunities, were, were you bugling? Were you cow calling? What you know, were you I, doing? I, I'm typically a bugler. Mm-hmm. I, I typically have really good luck just doing bugles. 75% of my calling is with a bugle. Right. Um, it just didn't. I kind of go gut feeling really. It did, didn't feel right. You know, it just mm-hmm. didn't. I bugled twice mm-hmm. all season. Oh, I really? just, I cow called. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's basically all I was doing was just cow calling every 15 minutes or mm-hmm. so. Um, just a kind of a locator cow call to um, singles, you, uh, singles or multiple multiples or usually just once. Yeah. Um, and is this diaphragm hoochie mama? What? Uh, read call. Read call. Uh, yeah, read call. Okay. I, I have um, my favorite is the cowgirl. Okay. I can do a diaphragm a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. not great at it, so mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, I'll mess around with it out there when I'm not too concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, if I'm in them, I do what I know I can do. Right. Um, I do the hoochie mama. I got a cowgirl, and I got a couple other di- uh, read calls that I really like, and. Um, Cowgirls always worked really well for me, the Primo's cowgirl. Um, but I was mostly using the Hoochie Mama. Mm-hmm. Um, Deton loves that. That's what he uses the vast majority of the time. Um, but just we were just getting nothing. We weren't even hearing anything in the distance or anything like that. We were, we were seeing some elk far off, you know. Um, and we, we were set up pretty good. And he had seen them come in the night before, so he was thinking they were but they'd come in, he was set up way to the right of where we were, um, where I had been seeing him come mm-hmm. through. Um, but he, he saw him coming in all the way across the canyon, so we kind of moved over. I kind of got in the middle, and he moved over there real real close to where he saw him coming through. Um, and so it was getting pretty late in the evening, and I actually spotted the elk way up on that ridge that me and you walked down mm-hmm. where we run across the rattlesnake. Yep. They were up on there coming down. And I told D, so I walked over there to deed on them. I told them, I said, there's no way they're going to get here before dark. Just zero chance. It's the last evening I can hunt. If we're going to make anything happen, we're going to have to close this distance and get up in it. And so that ravine where we saw that rattlesnake, we just got in the bottom of it and we hoofed it. You know, I just let out a cow call every hundred yards or so and we just you know they can't see us in the bottom of that ravine with the trees and stuff up we went and they started the the herd bull started bugling pretty heavy um probably every five minutes he let out a bugle um as he's moving away or as, from the- as he's moving towards us they were coming oh. down across that fence line okay i just knew that they weren't going to get to us mm-hmm. before dark mm-hmm. so we moved up and mm-hmm. as it was we only had about 10 minutes by the time we got up there. And so we got up there, we got into a spot where I'd seen him last coming down the hill. We were probably 300 yards away from that. Mm-hmm. So um, I started cow calling a little bit and I decided to bugle. And when I hit a bugle, he bugled back instantly. And so I just put the cow call back in my pocket. I was done with the cow call at that point. He's going to bugle back. So I gave it a, a minute and bugled back and he hit me again just right there mm-hmm. and you could hear this thing the freight train i mean he's smashing trees tearing everything up but he's coming and yeah. he's he's smashing trees as he's walking and he's ticked um could hear him chuckling and just grunting walking through the trees and i thought where we were standing we were on the other side of that ravine. Yeah. I thought he was coming down just right next to it. Because, I mean, it sounded like he was 10 yards from us. And I look up, and he's 150 yards up the hill. <laughs> just making so much noise you couldn't tell where he was at. And 
he walked off, got to where I couldn't see him. I let out a cow call. He never looked at us, so he never saw us, but he was done. Yeah. He just slipped off into the dark. Uh, end of the hunt for me. D-Dunn got to hunt another day. Um, went in there that, that next morning, and that guy killed that bull. Really? Coming back in, yeah. Um, which is good. You yeah. Know, good, for, good for them. Um, but the, the, the main story that I, about this hunt was, you know, we talk about hunting and the passion that we have for hunting and everything mm-hmm. that we do to go hunting and all of the sacrifices we make for it. The main story of this hunt is you can't let hunting get in the way of life. You, you got to have perspective and sure. stuff like that, you know, and my daughter going through what she went through is more important to to skip a hunt than oh it's not not yeah. even yeah, yeah not even a thought man yeah, i mean absolutely I, I think at that point you know that that weekend those two days and and the day here going out that's more your therapy trying to just you know uh for everything that you're going through right. with your daughter it's just a way of keeping your own sanity a little bit and escaping mm-hmm. just a little bit and yeah yeah, we all, I think that's why a lot of people, I hear so many people like, yeah, I just can't wait to get out in the woods because, you know, I can mm-hmm. cleanse myself out a little disconnect, bit. Disconnect, Just yeah. think and, yeah, yeah, just disconnect a little bit. But, um, yeah, your, your hunt, uh, it's, it's interesting because when I hear other people's stories, when they're telling me stuff, my head's always working, you know, and things like that. It just keeps going with it because, you know, that, that bull you know, you're going down and you're cow calling mm-hmm. and you're down in a ravine. So he's not able to see the cow, right? Mm-hmm. So elk, so, uh, there's a few things. Like you said, you had a 90-yard shooting lane, mm-hmm. okay? To me, um, I always want shooting lanes to be only within my comfort zone if possible. Mm-hmm. If I can see farther than that, it's it's not good because that means that that bull can come in there and see where that call's coming yeah. from. And if they don't see anything, they always want to confirm. Yep. So the tighter that is, the thicker it is. And if it's only that they got to walk in within your shooting range, that's better. So even though you can see 90 yards, that's good for seeing elk, but it's not good for killing elk. Yeah. So that's something that, that I do there. Now, when you're walking through that ravine and he can't see you, that's the exact thing. He can't see you now. So now he's screaming. He's got a cow that's coming to him. It's like your cow calling as you're coming to him. So he is interested in that. Uh, so now the bugle comes, right? Uh, you pull out your bugle and you bugle at him. He cuts you off right away because listen to what's happening. Think of it from his perspective. He's got this cow that's coming to him. Mm-hmm. And he's bugling at this cow. And then all of a sudden with the cow, a bull sounds off, right? So what he's saying is, is he's throwing that, he's taking the offensive on that and he's challenging you. Now he's wanting you to show yourself. Well, the cow doesn't show itself. Well, he knows it's not because now has a bull with it. But now there's a bull there that's not showing itself as well. So something's fishy, something's up. So he's staying at a certain distance because elk want to confirm, they go sight first, vocal second, smell last. That's how they confirm everything. So that's why when they when they can't see something, they're talking to it. 
and then they'll confirm by trying to get a scent, especially if they've already been called in by multiple hunters. They're going to circle it like that to get it. Get so y- you go to nothing but the bugle, right? And the cow has now shut up, so the cow's no longer coming to him. He's not able to see a cow. The bull's not showing himself. Maybe he doesn't want to fight. He's taken the offensive on you, and you kept him having it. Anytime you bugle, what you should have done is when he cuts you off, is stay uh, quiet. And then if he bugles, you cut him off. Or you bugle, and as soon as he cuts you off, man, now you go with that blast scream right over top of him. Hit him in the face with it. Because you are now showing that you're dominant, and that's what's going to tick you off. He was showing you that he was dominant, trying to pull your cow away like that now nothing shows up to the party i'm out of here i don't see anything so he gets bored and he turns off now if you saw him at 150 yards one of the best things to do is shut up he's up there he's probably calling and then he's looking doesn't see anything and he turns and he goes over the ridge never to be seen again right you haul up to the last position you saw him and then you scream that bugle right on that top of the ridge most of the time elk will come to a spot that they've already been to because they've already established it as being secure i don't know if you've ever shot an elk after an elk has come into and you've shot them how do they leave generally the exact way that they just came in Mm -hmm. right because they've they've established that safety route and then once they get to a certain point now they got to slow down because they got to let their nose their eyes because there's danger that they get there and so they're going to be doing it that way so that's the things that i saw so far on on that situation right there um and what i would tell you too is if you want to increase your success get better with your diaphragm and the reason being is that's part of that closing because there's times when I've had that bull that's, you know, he's hanging up out there 80 yards, right? And he's looking for that cow. Well, I'm able to take, because I use a flex flexible tube between my arms, and I can actually throw that call behind me so it sounds 60 yards, 50 yards, 40 yards. And if I can get that 40 yards out of that bull when he's 80 yards out, now I'm in kill zone, right? So that helps me instead. Now, you could do the same thing with the reed, but now it's awkward because you're having to put it in a call, trying to throw it. it. Those are generally real loud and real nasally and come out. So most of the time, they make a bull think the cow is closer to them than what they are. And I always do my cow calls away from my bull because I always want him to think I'm further away so he doesn't hang up yeah. up there like that. I listened to your podcast mm-hmm. about just before I went on this elk hunt. Everything that I threw was behind me. <laughs> Oh, good, good, good. And were you able to do it through a tube of some kind? Or? Um, yeah, so my bugle is is a tube. It's a flexible tube that but I, your, I throw but behind your me. Cow yeah, my cow call, I just turn my head and bugle. Now, I can't do that when it gets close. Um, yeah. yeah, and I know I need to work on my diaphragm calls. I'm, I'm just not good with putting things in my mouth. <laughs> I got to get better at it. So, um, But it will increase your yeah. success rate. I'm just telling you yeah. because... I mean, now, if I have a bull and he's coming, you could do the same thing with your mouth. Yeah. But, it, you know, you're going to sell it better, you know, if you bark at him and draw. Yeah. Or you scream a bugle. That's my favorite, man, because I scream that bugle and draw. And when they see the movement, they're, they're hearing the bugle and they're seeing the movement. So the first thing is, you know, horns, you know, from a bull yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. It just gives you that second. 
on there. I, di- I did get a lot better this year with the diaphragm. I took my diaphragm call and I cut about quarter inch off the back of it, trimmed it up, and I can actually get it in there. And so was it tickling some... your palate? Was it uh, choking it you, gagging gag. you? Yeah. yeah, they make me gag. So uh, a, a lot of times with that, if you're getting that gag reflex, they're actually too far back and got to come a little bit yeah, more forward. I put it right at the back of my teeth, uh-huh. and then and then I still get that. So, But I cut it off this year, mm-hmm. and I, it ain't quit. So okay, cool. Got, got a Trimmed lot better. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, no, awesome, man. I, You know, for the days that you got to spend, that's a pretty good experience, mm-hmm. you know, yep. in there. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it's still cool. I mean, it's still cool. Listen to them come through the woods like that, just tearing stuff up as they go. It's, it's impressive. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're so, and, and it's, the word is overused. Everybody says it all the time, but it just so fits. I mean, they are so majestic. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're just such a cool animal. Very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And they taste delicious. They are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Very cool. Uh, well, Joe, um, I guess give our listeners uh, an idea where to find you, and uh, hopefully we'll get some, some folks in into the academy as well. You know, um, look, anything, pretty much anything that's in our academy is in our podcast. I mean, there's some things that are way more detailed, and it structure so much more. So if you guys just want to listen, listen, you know, um, I got photos. I've got a bunch of photos from first time hunters this year that all they did was listen to our podcast Mm -hmm. and they listened to a lot of them a lot. But if you want to go find our free content, you want to find out how to get to anything, just go to elkbros.com, E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. And, you know, we've got gear there. We've got stories. we got some stories coming in from some of our hunters this year. Um, this time of year, I don't get to work on the website that much because I'm in the woods yep. so much. Yeah, that's a good, you know? good problem to have. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but it, it, that's so cool because it really uh, adds more to what we're able to do. I'm always learning something, you know. And, I mean, just a little while ago, a few hours ago, um, I had a... And for you guys that think some of you guys think that you're too old, you know, I had a 68-year-old gentleman um, belly crawling and crawling on his hands and knees with me to get in shooting position 200 yards. And and, uh, people don't, I mean, this was a cow elk hunt, and it was the most thrilling elk hunt. You know, everybody thinks it's it's all about the bull. Look, man, it's all about the hunt. It's all about the hunt. And it was so thrilling. It's the most fun. And it was a cow elk hunt. It's the most fun. And I'm telling you this ever I've ever had on a rifle hunt. Uh, It was just fantastic. It was a thrill. Good. Really cool. So elk bros, they can find us there, man. Awesome. Well, hope uh, hope, uh, you guys go check it out. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure having joji or coach or whatever you want to call him um on the podcast uh wealth of information uh like you said lots of years in the public public land woods and lots of experiences i hope a lot more absolutely yes (laughs) absolutely well we'll catch you next time and hopefully get uh coach back on uh on a different podcast sometime a little bit later hope so thanks for joining guys hey Thanks, man. Adios. Adios. See you guys. 
Thanks for joining Not a Grande Outdoors podcast. Come follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about our website, www.notagrandeoutdoors.com. Adios. Adios.